Here's the deal. You're not going to get any hot, breaking recruiting news out of this podcast, and you all know that by now. In fact, you're not going to get much recruiting at all. That's been well established. However, in the spirit of evolution and with the hopes of making a better podcast, I tried once again to jump into the wide world of recruiting this week. I know Lincoln Riley and the Sooners have been hosting camps dating back to the beginning of the month, and from what I understand, these camps include many high school kids, some of which are targets for Riley in Oklahoma. One of the bigger targets that I can tell is 2021 quarterback Brock Vandegrift. Vandegrift from Georgia plays at a very small private school, which is incredibly interesting to me. What kind of competition does he play against in Georgia Class A football, and does that even matter? I don't know, but... On the surface, it doesn't sound all that good. I've covered high school football in three different states, Minnesota, Texas, and Oklahoma. Class A ball looks pretty much the same in all of them. It's really bad. Sure, there's going to be a diamond in the rough every once in a while, and maybe that's Vandegrift. His dad is the head coach, so I'm sure it helps that he comes from a football family. With all that being said, Lincoln Riley knows exactly what he's looking for in a quarterback. If Riley's in contact with this kid, he's probably pretty good. But here's the disconnect for me. Let's say Vandegrift commits to Oklahoma and then signs a national letter of intent to play for the Sooners. His first game in Oklahoma wouldn't be for another 26 months. We're less than three months away from the beginning of the 2019 season, and that still feels like forever away to me. I'm happy Lincoln Riley and his crew are looking that far ahead, 26 months to be exact. That's what's going to keep OU's program strong. But please forgive me if... This is the last time I talk about Brock Vandegrift on this podcast, at least until the year 2021. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Bradley has some running room. He has one man to beat to the 50. He's scooting down the sideline. Can he do it? Touchdown, Oklahoma! That was Mark Bradley taking an Iowa State kickoff 100 yards to the house back on October the 4th, 2003. Oklahoma won the game 53-7, and two things stood out to me about that play. Number one, Iowa State had just scored a touchdown on a pick six, so the Cyclones had a little bit of momentum for the first time all game, and then Bradley took the kick back for six of his own. And then uh, the second thing is Iowa State was doing something pretty weird with the kick team prior to the kick. They were bunched up and then they all flared out on the kick to try to make it difficult for Oklahoma's kick return team to figure out who they were going to block. And then it didn't matter at all because Bradley got a huge hole to run through and he wasn't touched until the very end when the kicker dove and got a little bit of his cleat. So (laughs) it was just special teams domination by the Sooners on that play. So here's what we got for you all today. By the way, hello again, I'm Lee. Uh, A listener sent us a message that provides really good insight into blood clots. And I know that this has been a topic on the show for the last couple of weeks. Some of you might be bored with it. I get it. But I do think that we've got some awesome info that Grant and I didn't know up until now. And I think the arrow at this point should be pointing up for Jalen Redmond at Oklahoma. So I got to say, I may have evolved on my opinion about Redmond in a mere matter of weeks. So we'll have that discussion. Plus, We're going to do a little bit of an exercise where we challenge some preconceived notions about the upcoming 2019 football season. And this is an idea that Grant got from a recent podcast he was listening to. And I think 
the topic will be good for this show as well. So we will go ahead and borrow that on this episode. Also, we'll continue our look at Oklahoma's 2019 opponents, Texas Tech, on the docket today. And at the, at the end of the show, I want to talk a little bit about Kyler Murray and how he's performing at Cardinals OTAs and minicamp. We haven't done a whole lot of Kyler Murray talk at all since he was drafted. And by this time last year, I feel like we talked about Baker Mayfield probably on every episode. So let's let's jump in a little bit on Kyler Murray. So that'll be for the end of the show. It's that time to bring in Grant. And Grant, both of us were at that Oklahoma-Iowa State game in 2003 and that Mark Bradley kickoff, it stood out to me as an underrated play in Sooners history. So I want to ask you what you remember about that game. Well, Lee, that was actually the very first OU football game I ever went to. So that it was memorable for that reason. So that's pretty cool. Um, and I thought it was kind of it was interesting that you mentioned the pick six before the kick return, because that's actually the, the part that I remember the most about that game. Um, what you didn't mention is that OU at the time that pick six was up like 35 to nothing or something like that. So, I mean, the game was over already. Yeah, but but it was so loud in that stadium on the pick six. And I just, um, that actually might've been the first college football game I went to in general. And I just remember thinking how crazy it was that they were down by five touchdowns and on a pick six in the second half, the, the, I mean, the crowd just lost it. It was very loud in there. Um, has always kind of, whenever I think of Jack Trice stadium and at at Iowa state, that's always kind of what I think about now. It's like that place can get loud. Um, Mm-hmm. All because of of a Paul Thompson pick six up five <laughs> touchdowns in the second half uh, against OU. So really interesting game. I'm I'm glad I, I really appreciate you bringing that in there because that is uh, that is certainly one of my more uh, underrated OU moments. Just because one, yes, it was the first college football game I ever attended live, and uh, so it's just it, it's very memorable for that reason. Now you got me looking up my first OU game. I know it was. There was one before that Iowa State. I think the Iowa State game was my second. And it's easy for me to – I just wanted to double-check. So my first OU game was in 95. And the reason I remember that is because it was the one and only year that Schnellenberger, Howard Schnellenberger, was the head coach. And I remember it because I remember going with Dad and one of his buddies. And um, he had uh, – one of his friends had binoculars. And so we would – looking through the binoculars, I remember looking down at the sidelines and looking at Schnellenberger and his – uh, yeah, obviously he's very easy to see because of that mustache and just the way he looks. But uh, they're playing Kansas, and they lost to Kansas that game. So, so that just shows you how long ago that was that Oklahoma lost a game to Kansas at home. I got to think and, that's the last time they lost to Kansas. Ooh, ooh, yeah, it might have been. Because wow. remember, yeah. at, at that time too, I think the the next season after that is when is when they would have gone to divisions, right? I think in the Big Twelve because I think '96 was the first year of the Big Twelve championship game. Um, I'm looking at it right now, and so it's pretty conceivable that they they wouldn't they maybe only would have played Kansas, maybe one more time until Stoops got there. And I mean, who knows? I, I mean, I suppose they were pretty bad until Stoops got there. But actually, Grant, <laughs> uh, that loss in '95 to Kansas was the beginning of a three-game losing streak. No against way. Kansas. See, this is like so. This is I, I don't know anything about '90s Oklahoma, and that's from from what I've heard from a lot of people. That's probably a very good thing. <laughs> um, that's crazy. Uh, just I'm going to totally switch up here uh, because I was having trouble sleeping last night, Lee, and so I actually I kind of queued up some some highlights of of some past seasons. It was uh, from from the 2017 season. I watched the 
uh, watched some highlights of the TCU game and, and some other games as well. But then, Lee, I started to think because I, I feel like this storyline sort of died at the end of last season when uh, when it became apparent that Kyler was going to win the Heisman and they had a really good chance of getting back to the playoff. OU still hasn't lost on the road in like five seasons. Yeah. The the last game that they lost on the road. A true Leach, road game. True road game, like when they actually play in another team stadium, was 2014 against TCU. Oh, wow. They haven't lost yeah, they haven't lost a, a true yeah. road game since Trevor Knight was the quarterback. <laughs> that's yeah, that's, that's so underrated. I mean, that's that's crazy. I, I can't imagine there's any other that's gotta be the longest streak active right now. I gotta think it's one. the longest streak active. I ima- it's I mean, I'm sure it's not anywhere close to the longest ever streak, but Sure, sure. Yeah, I, that it's a nice poll. Uh just real quick, I'm sure those who do listen to this podcast that have been around a lot longer than us and do know about 90s OU football are we're probably screaming or listening and kind of yelling at their podcast player as we're discussing Kansas in the 90s and saying of course no that Schnellenberger was fired and then John Blake came in and then John Blake lost to Kansas twice been back to back they're probably yelling at the because that's what happened they lost in 96 97 when John Blake was head coach and then uh so 97 was the last time that uh Kansas beat Oklahoma they didn't play again until 19, uh, until 2000, and uh, the rest is history. A lot of Oklahoma victories. So anyways, all right, so we'll talk about blood clots again, and I know this has been a topic on this podcast, but we have some new information here because one of our listeners, one of our loyal listeners named Sydney, and we've talked about Sydney before on the podcast because uh, he at, you know, he puts his comments in, he asks questions, and he's, you know, he interacts with the show quite a bit. He sent us a message on the Facebook page, and it provided a lot of insight into blood clots. I just had never heard it before. I didn't know. And so I'm going to read his message, and maybe this is something that a lot of you listening who haven't thought about blood, clot, blood clots ever didn't know either. So maybe this is going to be educational, because it was for me, and I think it was for Grant, too. So here's what Sydney had to say. He messaged in after listening to last week's episode. And he says that uh, I had blood clots when I was 16. I had them in my lungs and one actually traveled near my heart. So it was pretty scary. It happened during spring practice, my sophomore year. So I missed all of my junior year. When I saw that Jalen Redmond was going to play, my first thought was there's no way he cleared those clots that fast. When I had my incident, I had to take two types of blood thinners, a shot and a pill. While I was taking both, I couldn't play football or basketball or do anything really. When I was taking the pill only, I could play basketball, but not football. The doctors projected me to take the shot for six months, the pills for a year, and then I could go back to football the following spring. So in regards to Jalen Redmond, what I think happened was that he stopped taking the blood thinners completely too early. Let me say that again. This is Sydney's post again on the West of Evers Facebook page. He says, so in regards to Jalen Redmond, what I think happened was that he stopped taking the blood thinners completely too early and the clot didn't shrink enough to go away naturally. I don't think that he had new clots form. I think the ones he had never left him. I'm optimistic for his future because if he had another blood clot that fast after taking blood thinners, there's no way he would play football again because he would have some sort of blood disorder that would put him on blood thinners for life. 
My guess is that he was put back on a pretty strict regimen of blood thinners for six more months, which would certainly be enough for the clots to go away for good, considering he was being treated for about six months before that and will be good to go for the fall. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if he's fully cleared right now. The timing matches up and there isn't necessarily a healing process involved. When the clots are gone, they are gone. So I think if they were career ending, there's a good chance we would know that by now. He just might have come back a little too soon last season. And that is Sydney's post on the West of Evers Facebook page. And we appreciate Sydney for sharing his story and giving him uh, giving us that insight because again, blood clots are something that I literally started looking into in depth about a month ago when I was trying to do more research into Jalen Redmond. So Grant does, uh, I know that you've been a little more optimistic about the blood clots for Jalen Redmond and his future than I have been. So uh, I'll go over to you to start. Does that story, uh, what do you make of that story from Sydney? Does it, does it change your thoughts at all on Jalen Redmond's future? Your takeaway from all of that new information? Well, first of all, I mean, it's just, it's pretty scary stuff. It, it's really, uh, it really sucks to think that a 16-year-old kid had to go through that. So that's 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 just really scary, um, first of all. But um, obviously glad that he's passed that and he's and he's healthy now. Um, so seriously, Sydney, that's awesome. Thanks so much for for sharing that with us. Uh, but as far as uh, as far as Jalen Redmond goes, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know if I if I can help but be a little more optimistic after hearing that. Um, Sydney did say that obviously, you know, he it he he stopped taking the blood thinners completely too early. And I think that's a, that's a, we can certainly uh, think that conclusion is correct because he, he only played three games and then he was done for the rest of the year. So clearly some, uh, a decision was made that was not correct. Um, so yeah, I, I just hope that it's, it's one of those things where they are for sure. They've, they've gotten it cleared up. They've um, they know for sure that they're gone. Um and I, I, you know, everything that Lincoln Riley has said is that he's he's cleared, and they expect him to be good to go. So, I, with something as serious as this, I just I don't think that they would they'd lie about this. Um, so, yeah, I I think until you know, God forbid, this comes up again, I think we should probably expect Jalen Redmond to be a full go because I, I we haven't heard any anything otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I got to tell you, listening or I guess reading Sydney's story and getting his insight it definitely has me feeling much more positive about Redmond's future at Oklahoma and you know it's really important to always gather new information and be willing to change your thoughts and opinions and beliefs based on new evidence and you all know that listen to this show as I said before that I don't think Redmond will play again at Oklahoma and after learning more about Sydney's episode and learning more about blood clots I think Redmond is is going to play I, I think now that I think he's going to be good, and I've totally changed my mind on that because uh, the most important part, I think, of the story to me was the revelation that when blood clots are gone and out of your system, then they're gone. And you know, Sydney seems to think that they probably brought Redmond back before his blood clots had disappeared, and therefore the contention is that uh, new blood clots may not have formed in Redmond's lungs in October. It was just the same clots from before. I mean, that's... Again, this is all speculation, perhaps, though, close to an educated guess based on what is public about Redmond's condition and then also what Sydney has shared with with us about his blood clots because he went through something very similar, it sounds like, to this and went on the blood thinners, the pill, the shot, and it sounds like it 
went away and he was able to come back and be healthy and play. And so the fact that Redmond's participating in summer workouts uninhibited, uh, and again, that's what Lincoln Riley would told us a few weeks ago. The fact that he it, it's been now, I think, seven plus months since Oklahoma shut him down during the regular season. I think it's fair to, to think maybe that now Redmond's blood clots are gone. And if that's the case and he doesn't have some sort of blood disorder, I think his chances of playing are now really good. And I again, I just wanted to say again, I've I've changed my thoughts on that. Uh, again, new information has come in. I've learned more about this. And sure, maybe I should have looked more into it before, but all the, the articles and things I was reading about other athletes and stuff like that just did not sound very good. But getting this story from Sydney, like a that's it makes me feel pretty good about it. And I just I guess the the last thing I want to say is, you know, last week we were talking about how, you know, maybe just the the length of time away from action, away from contact. Uh, I mentioned a, a healing process, and maybe that's just, you know, it just goes away and just your, your chances of recurrence are lower if you take more time off. And then, you know, Sydney said there's not really a healing process. It's just once the blood clots are out of your system, they're gone. And then if you don't have a blood disorder or some sort of rare disorder, you know, that's unfortunate, then the likelihood of a new blood clot forming is probably pretty low because it's, you know, it sounds like this all started from an injury because, you know, whenever you have injuries and you're, I remember whenever I had knee surgery years and years ago, had to get reconstruction on my knee there was a part of it of like you know whenever you have a cast on and it wasn't really a cast like a knee brace and you're not moving your knee around a lot and your leg a lot then the doctors are always worried about blood clots forming because you're sedentary and you're not moving a whole lot um, and I never had any issues with that thankfully but uh, that's I think that's what happened with Jalen Redmond a, a knee injury or a lower body injury then led to this and we can all hope now that again what we've heard publicly from Lincoln Riley it sounds like everything's going really well and uh, I just I'm really happy that we got that story from Sydney because I didn't know a lot of that stuff. And it, it sounds a lot more positive to me and, and I've changed my mind. I, I, I feel a lot more confident about Redmond's ability to play this upcoming fall. Anything else you want to add or should we move on? I think we can move on. I thought that was, uh, that was, that was really good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, this can only be a good thing. One for Jalen Redmond's health and also for the team. This is, this is, this is positive news and, and hopefully we'll continue to get positive news over the course of the summer. I'm sure more info will, will leak out as, as the summer goes on. And I realize this is anecdotal evidence. This is one person that reached out to us and told us his story. Um, but it helps. I think, I think to know more about it, because obviously I'm sure Sydney knows a lot more about blood clots than a lot of people because he had to deal with it at such a young age. How, so, how are we going to have a summer college football podcast without rampant speculation? <laughs> how on earth are we going to do that? That's a good point. That's what, that's what June, or basically every month from you know, January, February on until we get to August is all about. All right, let's uh, challenge some preconceived notions for the 2019 football season. So I'm going to throw this over to you real quick, Grant. You mentioned that you, you heard this segment on a podcast recently and I feel like we're going to borrow this so I figure you know go ahead and maybe plug the podcast or give them the proper credit that it's due for sure yeah we're totally ripping this off so just full disclosure um I'm taking this from the uh, from the solid verbal podcast which is which is a, a fairly popular college football podcast uh, by Ty Hildebrandt and Dan Rubenstein. They're really good. Uh, I've just, I've, I've actually just started kind of listening to this in the last month or so, and it's great. They do a really good job of, of talking about stuff in the offseason. For instance, Lee, I was listening to one today, and they had an entire podcast 
dedicated to kind of their favorite obscure um, like college stars who sort of disappeared after after college from 2008 on. And they were just dropping a bunch of names in there that I thought were interesting. Zach Sanchez came up in that. Um, other names like uh, Lake Seastrunk was a name that they brought <laughs> yeah. up, which I thought was interesting. Um, Marvin McNutt from Iowa was a good oh, one. Yeah, he was good. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Th- that's that stuff. I love that stuff. I love bringing up uh, just like just random players. I kind of gave me the idea. Maybe we should do that for OU players since like 2000 or something. But I don't know that 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 could be something else. But anywho, yeah, they, they do have this segment um, that is called um, Pump the Brakes. And so we're just going to we're going to borrow it here. And, and what they do is they they bring up just a topic and to challenge conventional wisdom of college football. So, for instance, I think one that they one they did on on their last podcast was, um, are we sure that Clemson is going to be, you know, like this this 10 year reign dynasty or something like that? And then they just kind of have a freewheeling discussion on Clemson and, and, and whatnot. They had another one about Jalen Hurts as well. And so, I don't know, it's just, it's just fun. But the whole, the whole exercise is basically just to bring up a college football talk, topic so we can talk about it. And so I figured it would be fun to do a, you know, an Oklahoma slash Big 12 centric version of that. And so we're going to rip it off and we're going to do it. So all, all credit here goes to the Solid Verbal Podcast. If you guys haven't listened to it, I would, I would recommend uh, giving it a listen. They are not a direct competitor of us. They are a fairly large podcast. All right, so what's the what's the first question here? I think we should start with OU centric questions cuz I I thought of only one and it was basically you kind of helped me with it and it was more Big 12 related. So, you've thought of some other questions to to pose that are more OU related. I see I I think you want to talk a little Jalen Hurts it looks like. So, Lee, I will start with this and it's very simple and I just want to see what comes out of it. Lee are we sure that Jalen Hurts will be good in 2019? Are we sure that he will be good? Yes, he will be good. Now, will he be great? Will he be uh, up at the, you know, unfortunately for him, the standard that's been set for the last two quarterbacks in Oklahoma? Uh, no, no, he's not. He's not going to be as good as Baker Mayfield. He's not going to be as good as Kyler Murray. That would be, that would be incredible because those two players have had two of the best seasons ever in the history of the sport but will he be good I think he will be good because one he's a talented guy Um, his athleticism will certainly help he will be conditioned more to make throws and not bail and he will be given better opportunities within this offense to see open players and and he will be afforded easier throws I think than maybe he got at Alabama not to mention that he'll be going against the big 12 which the defense's aren't not as bad as everyone thinks they are, but they certainly aren't not, they're not as good as what he has seen from the Georgias and the LSUs and the Auburns of the world in the SEC. So that will be a, an upgrade for him as far as uh, seeing things, I think, on defense. And not to mention, he's going to have a great running game again. Hopefully, I suppose a question mark you could ask about the offensive line will factor in there. But as far as a, a player and, and being around Lincoln Riley and, and knowing that he wants to make his final year of college great and prove a lot of people that he can be a really good player. And he's a guy I'm sure that's going to want to try to play in the NFL at some point. And he knows that his best chance of getting a shot in the pros was to come and play for Lincoln Riley for this one year. I do think he will be good. But again, I cannot expect him to be 
great or I mean I'm sure he will have moments of that but in the big games and in the big moments I, don't, I mean I know he was a leader and he had a lot of incredible uh, moments at Alabama but nothing really recently with the exception of the big uh, big 12 the SEC title last year um, but I do think it's a, a good question to ask Grant are you sure that Jalen Hurts will be good well so yeah I think there's definitely some qualifiers for this an- for this answer I don't like I I think, yes, he's going to have a good season, but I think it's going to be probably really difficult for a lot of us not to grade him on a bit of a curve just because of what, just because of, you know, the quality of play we've seen from that position in the last four seasons. And there's just, there's just this little, there's, there's two things that are kind of stuck in my mind that concern me just a little bit. The first is that Baker Mayfield had three years in Lincoln Riley's system to learn it to uh, to live in it, to practice it every single day, and you know, combine that with his amazing arm talent and his intangibles and whatnot. You got Baker Mayfield. Lee, that season they went twelve and two, and they lost in the first round of the college football playoff. And they really needed Baker Mayfield to be a hero in in quite a bit of games that season. And OU was a was a that two thousand seventeen was a that that team was a great team, uh, but they still needed some Baker Mayfield heroics to bail them out. Uh, every now and then. This is the 20, 2015 team you're talking about, right? No, I'm talking about the 2017 team. Oh, you're talking about um, 2017. Oh, yeah, okay. and the, sa- the same is for 2015, yeah, and 2016 in, in some respects as well. Um, and then, Lee, I, you know, Kyler Murray was also in this system for three years, and he got to sit for two years and watch Baker Mayfield, and he was in the film room, and he got to learn the system, he got to practice it. So he was very comfortable with it by the time that he took over last season. Um. And so that's obviously very significant in my mind. And also, Lee, at the same time, and I got this while I was going back and, and watching some highlights from 2017, what you saw from Baker Mayfield was just elite throw after elite throw. And even when Kyler Murray got in in mop-up time in, in a few games in, in 2017, you saw some elite throws. You saw some evidence of what he showed in the 2018 season, fitting it into tight windows, Uh knowing how to manipulate the pocket and, and also being really good at avoiding contact as well. Um, I don't know if Jalen Hurts is capable of a lot of that stuff. And so that has kind of given me pause a little bit. Now, I, I do acknowledge that I think Jalen Hurts is going to bring a different element um, to the run game. I think he's going to be, I think he has, uh, he is absolutely a threat to be a 1,000-yard rusher this season. And I think he's going to be, especially in the Big 12, absolutely devastating in the short yardage um but lee it was really hard for me to watch those baker mayfield throws and those kyler murray throws and and not be a tad concerned because even even with the genius of lincoln riley and everything that he draws up man bake and kyler were were still making some incredible throws that really no one else can make even in this offense and jalen hurts is not going to be able to do that so um I'm wondering how uh, how cognizant Lincoln Riley is of that, and if he's going to try to adjust to that and try to build it, you know, around more of Jalen Hurts' skill set. Whereas with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, I think Lincoln Riley knew, hey, I have, I have, I have legit NFL level guys here who are who are really unique and kind of once in a lifetime like players. Um, I think Jalen Hurts is a is a good college player, but I think he's just a good college player. So I'm I'm curious to see what's going to happen. I, you know, I don't know if he's going to be capable of of bailing OU out 
to the same degree that that Baker and Kyler were able to. And so, and, and I know there's a lot of people were, were kind of saying the same thing about Kyler Murray at this time last year. I was not one of those people. You were. I, if no, you were. I was. So I, if, if you guys want to go back and listen to last summer, I was saying right there, right from the very beginning that Kyler Murray was going to be a stud, was the best quarterback in the Big 12. Um, yeah, you and that, were. That, yeah, and that was, I mean, and once it, once the season started, that was that was blatantly obvious. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm interested to see how this turns out. But if if OU's defense is you know is is lackluster again or lackluster to bad again, which I you know I'm starting to sort of think that that may be a real possibility. I'm not sure if I I don't I don't know if Jalen Hurts is going to be able to bail him out like the other two guys were. So that's just, that's just something I'm I've, I've in June right now I'm 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 kind of uh, kind of letting simmer a little bit in my brain. Well, I like your point because I've used this when it comes to Kyler in the NFL quite a bit. The point about how Baker and Kyler had so much time and experience in the system, and then that the growth then you could see it on the field, and you mix that with their immense talents, and it was just it was incredibly fun football to watch. Hertz obviously has tons of experience in college. It does not have much experience at all in this system. He's only had now four or five months since he's been there. No game experience. All he's got is a spring game. So I think that is a big factor. Um, also, just kind of back to you know making those throws you were talking about. Yeah, that's that's certainly a concern for me. I mean, he's a guy, Jalen Hurts, who when he was a full time starter, I mean, he was completing on average for two seasons about 61 percent of his passes and grant i know it's the sec that the defenses are pretty good there but that's still that's a pretty low percentage completion i mean that's like kind of right at the the cutoff that you want for a college quarterback and so he was not completing a very high percentage of passes granted he was throwing the ball down the field a bit his yards per attempt is pretty good average close to eight yards per attempt more like 7.8 7.9 those two years he was starting so at least he throws the ball down the field so that is a concern uh because his again his arm strength just isn't anywhere near that of baker and kyler's i don't think and and his accuracy isn't there either um and then also you mentioned the defense a little bit yeah i mean how is he going to react when the defensive help is nowhere near like he's experienced at alabama where you know he has a, a bad drive or two or three He's confident that his defense will pick him up and, and also get the opposing offense off the field. That You can't count on that with Oklahoma because you've seen games, there was multiple games last season where Kyler Murray and the offense and Lincoln Riley were probably going into games thinking, we have to score legitimately every time we have the ball. I mean, our margin of error is so thin. And I mean, the West Virginia game was one of those games. The Oklahoma State game was one of those games. Off the top of my head, I'm probably missing multiple other ones. Texas Tech. So... Sure. And, and, you know, another thing with Jalen Hurts, though, that I that I also can't get out of my mind is hit the three series that he played against Georgia in the SEC championship game, which was uh, ice water in his veins and 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 one of the biggest moments, uh, I mean, of the college football season, a huge environment uh, where the tension was palpable and he was perfect against yeah, he was one awesome. of the best against one of the best defenses in the country. Um, so I, I, that's also something I can't forget about. And I think that's relevant. So I, I think it's, this is, this is going to work. Jalen Hurts is going to have a good season. Um, I just, you know, it's, I, there's probably going to be some instances where, where the passing game does not look quite, you know, quite as pretty as it has the last four seasons. But also Lee, I think you also have to take into account. I think, 
um, from a from a skill position standpoint, I think this is probably the deepest, most dangerous uh, Oklahoma offense in terms of skill talent that I've seen in my lifetime. And so I think that's relevant as well. All right. The next one, and this is a good one, and I haven't even given this much thought, so I apologize in advance if I don't have a whole lot of in-depth stuff, but I think this is a pretty interesting question, and I'm going to guess that you have some information that maybe you've read or you've taken from somewhere else that makes you ask this question, but the one, uh, our next are we sure question is, are we sure that Jalen Redmond will be a rush linebacker? So, again, I haven't given much thought to this. I Granted, I've thought certain things that Alex Grinch would do with certain players, and I've been wrong about it. Caleb Kelly's the main one that comes to mind. doesn't matter anymore because he's going to miss the, the year or miss most of the season. I think Jalen Redmond's going to be the rush linebacker. It just makes a lot of sense based on what you want from that position in this defense because you have a, a tall, rangy guy that's, that's pretty quick and strong to get after it, and he's got to be able to take on – offensive lineman as well as be able to to play in space a little bit so i i'm pretty sure he's going to be the rush linebacker but uh something tells me that you might not be so sure yeah and it's mostly just because he's so big and he, he is absolutely the size of it he's a big defensive end uh, i mean he's uh what is he? he's like he's six five two seventy right i'll look it up so I, I know he's I know he's he's at two seventy. I mean, who knows what he's going to weigh in at uh, for fall practice? But um, and I say this Lee because there's obviously depth concerns along the defensive line. They just they they have a lot of bodies. They just don't have a ton of experience there. Um, and you know, there's there's injuries. There's attrition. Uh, there's rumors of of you know maybe some more attrition there that we're not really at liberty to discuss. Uh, you can go on the internet. And you can probably find out what we're talking about. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure that he is going to be the rush linebacker. I, I, I think, and I think it's also possible that it may not matter in, in the grand scheme of things. I think probably, we, we sort of had this conversation when you're talking about whether or not uh, Gallimore is going to be nose or if he's going to be the three tech. I think a lot of the times those responsibilities are going to shift on the defensive line as they shift before the snap. And I think those lines are probably going to be blurred a lot of the time. Even if Jalen Redmond is your starting rush linebacker, I think we're probably still going to see him with his hand in the dirt a, f- a fair amount. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's, I, I'm trying to think of, I guess I was trying to picture Jalen Redmond playing out in space, maybe covering a, a running back at his size. And um, kind of maybe sort of thinking that's not the most realistic thing in the world. And if it is, if he is able to do that, then we're talking about a freak athlete who is the, who is the next, I don't know, great Oklahoma defender if, if he's able to do that at that size and in, in space like that on OU's website he's listed at 63270 and just to give you a one of my few I guess high school recruiting and not even really recruiting just kind of takeaways from Redmond just because obviously I work in Oklahoma City and I was able to cover multiple Midwest City games his last year there I mean he was a player they'd play on offense and they'd give him the football and he'd run for touchdowns and he'd show that speed down the, down the sideline. I mean, I have a, I have video of one play against um, one of the Putnam city schools where he, I can't remember if he took a swing pass or if it was a, if he got a handoff or whatever it was, but he went like 75 yards down the sidelines. He looked pretty fast to me going that, you know, at his size. So I mean, you don't say really. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, oh, mean, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, they use him on offense here and there. And so, because just because he's an incredible athlete, he's a freak. So, I mean, I would not be all that surprised if he was a player that they were not afraid to put in situations where he would have to play in a little bit of space out there. Heck, I mean, Oboe was asked to play. I know he's not as big as Jalen Redmond, but Oboe was asked to play in that Jack linebacker spot. He had to drop into coverage here and there. And, and honestly, he, he didn't look all that terrible when he was asked to do it. Granted, again, I know that Oboe probably, what, is 30 pounds uh, lighter maybe than Redmond. What was he, probably yeah, 240? Oboe was probably 235, 240, yeah. I would guess. So, I mean, yeah. I guess that is a big difference, I, I suppose. I'm not sure if that, that analogy or comparison works. But um, on the website, too, they do list him as an outside linebacker. So Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's I mean, relevant that's pretty, as well. Yeah, so. I mean, like they don't have him like as linebacker slash defensive end or anything like that. They just, yeah. I mean, he's his outside linebacker. So that makes me think that that's, that's a spot they want him at. And that's great. I mean, I think I that sounds great to me having a guy like him who is who is long, who's athletic, who's big, who can set the who can set the edge and play in space. I mean, that's though. I mean, that's a unicorn. There's not a lot of guys out there who can do that and can do it well. So, mm-hmm. um, I know there's a lot of people who think, you know, man, how you know how much can one guy change the uh, change the fortunes of your defense? Man, you'd be really surprised, especially if he's playing at the line of scrimmage. I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, just go all the way back about a decade when Auburn won a national championship with Cam Newton. Um, Nick Fairley won them that national championship game by himself. So um, <laughs> by himself, it is, huh? it's, it's absolutely possible. And also, too, having an incredibly good middle linebacker certainly does wonders for, I mean, I can just think of like, I'm sure there's plenty of instances in college, too, but none really come to my mind right now. But the, in the NFL, the, the two main ones that come to mind is Keekly in Carolina. It seems like whenever he plays and he's like such a huge part of that defense makes him so good and then obviously there's a whole thing about when Sean Lee whenever he would be out for the Cowboys the defense was just horribly bad and then when for whatever reason whenever Sean Lee would play for the Cowboys then it would be a pretty good defense actually like the the mar- like the for whatever reason when he was in and out like the defense played so differently and I know last year they had that new player I think from Boise State that came in and and Sean Lee didn't play as much but uh anyways I basically Smith say, Georgia, yeah, yeah, Roquan Smith at Georgia, yeah. How can I forget about that? My God, he was awesome. Yeah. And so I, I guess I'm, I'm more. What my point is, let's let's say just for uh, just for discussion purposes, let's say that Jalen Redmond is is pretty much everything that he's hyped up to be, and he starts he starts 15 games this season and is an All Big 12 guy and has double digit sacks and is just a really impactful player. And let's say. Neville Gallimore lives up to the hype that that we're kind of setting on him right now. He's an all Big 12, maybe an all-American type guy um, playing in Alex Grinch's aggressive scheme. I mean, that's that's going to make the defense so much better just right away. Uh, I mean, this is... There, there's nothing more important, mm-hmm. I, I still think, than good defensive linemen. Um, it's, of, of course, it's starting to change. You, you definitely want a lot of defensive backs, but, man, in college... There, there's just nothing that can wreck an offense like a couple good defensive linemen. And if OU can have two standout ones, that, that would just be such a huge help. Well, I think that, and I mentioned this, I think, a couple weeks ago, that two of the most important positions on the field on this defense is a, the rush linebacker and whoever plays nickel for Alex Trench's defense. And so if Ray Redmond is good to play and he is kind of what we are hoping he is, that's one of those incredibly important positions manned by a player of – of that stature and then they got to find a nickel 
because that's also going to be, like, like I said, a really important spot. And then, of course, Neville Gallimore, hopefully being kind of like that Mata Afa role, Hercules Mata Afa role, who was just a disruptive, dominant defensive tackle at Washington State when Grinch was the defensive coordinator there. I mean, if you have, I guess, if you want to throw that as like the third most important position, I mean, if two of those three spots we know are going to be pretty good, I mean, I guess if Redmond is what he thinks, I mean, we think Gallimore is going to be really good. It's just now the question is, can they find a nickel? Can they find a nickel back that can can do exactly what, what Grinch uh, wants him to do? And right now, I, I mean, Buki was there in the spring game. Is he going to be there week one against Houston? Only time will tell. The last are we sure we're going to do today, because I have another one, but I think it's going to be good for next week since we're going to be talking about Texas next week. Are we sure that the Big 12 won't be terrible this year? Hmm. No, Lee, I'm not sure at all. That's why I put this question in there. (laughs) So that makes me want to bring up the I saw I think it was CBS maybe listed their top 10 or like of course there's 10 teams their big 12 head coach rankings did you see that yesterday i did not no so i'm going to bring that up right now but as i look at this article just to kind of give me an idea of the coaches again in this conference uh why are you not sure about the big 12 and whether or not they're going to be terrible because i think i might be able to push back a little bit if because i i have not even that's not even crossed my mind yet i i think the big 12 um I'm not going to say it's going to be great at all, but I have not once this offseason thought, man, the Big 12 could be a dumpster fire. So your thoughts on this, are we sure? Well, I started to, I started to kind of formulate this opinion while um, just kind of reading a, a bit about Texas Tech earlier today and, just, and then just sort of taking stock of the entire conference. I think, um, I think we can be absolutely sure that there's one team that's certainly going to be terrible, and that's Kansas. Will absolutely be terrible. Um, I think Kansas State has every possibility of being really bad this year. Um, even though I think they did make a really good hire with with, with Chris Kleiman. Um, that is a team that has not recruited well. That's a team that is going to really, that probably going to attempt to to zag when the, when the rest of the conference is zigging. Um, I don't know if it's going to work out because I don't know if they have any good players. Uh, like they typically, I mean, Kansas State typically just doesn't have a lot of great players anyway. Um, another thing that I'm kind of starting to become almost certain of Lee, West Virginia is going to be really bad this year. Um, they've had a ton of attrition, uh, especially in their secondary. You do not want attrition in your secondary in the Big 12. Um, Austin Kendall, a guy who Oklahoma didn't really care to keep that much, is is the front runner to be their starting quarterback. Um, that's after losing Dana Holgerson, who I, I think is, is really one of the more underrated head coaches in all of college football. Um, in fact, the more I think about it, I think West Virginia is going to be almost putrid bad this year. They, they might have one of their worst seasons in a long time. Um, and, and we'll talk about this more, Lee, as we, as we segue into Texas Tech. But I think Texas Tech has, has the possibility to be a pretty bad team this year as well. So, um, and that's, that's 40% of the league right there. And if, you have, if 40% of your league is bad, it's a bad league. Yeah, yeah you make a, a strong case, I got to say. I mean, the more I think about West Virginia now, haven't thought a whole lot about West Virginia yet. Yeah, I mean that. I and mean, we they, don't. They lose Tony Gibson as well as defensive coordinator, obviously Holgerson. Who knows what they're going to bring in? I mean, I'm sure Neil Brown probably brought in his entire staff from Appalachian State. That's where he's from, right? App State. And then he came yeah. from. Yeah. No, no, no. He came from Troy. 
Oh, Troy. Sorry. Okay, my Scott bad. Scott Satterfield, Satterfield was, was, App, State. Uh, was App State. He's at Louisville now. My bad. Okay. Um, hmm. And so, and also too, it, I I got thinking. You know, kind of in this new era, the Big Twelve up at the top of the conference. It's been especially for the last five or six years. And I know Texas was was there in, in second place last year, but it really had been you know a an OU TCU and Baylor conference. And so we kind of expect TCU to come up and grab the, the, the mantle there. But, I mean, if TCU is going to run out Alex Delton, they're going to have some problems this year. <laughs> and this, Boy, and, and, yeah. I, know, and yeah. I know it's kind of turned into a re, like a reoccurring bit on this podcast, but it doesn't make it any less true. Sure. And so I'm, you know, I'm concerned about TCU. Um, and we're not sure when, we're going to get out of Oklahoma State's quarterback. This season. We don't know we're going to get sec- out of Oklahoma State's quarterback, but for I, the second I think straight o- year. Yeah, you know, Oklahoma State does have you know so, some returning talent, and I, I think Oklahoma State is probably going to be about what they were, you know, last year. I, I think they're probably going to hover around seven and five, eight and four, which is fine, but nothing, you know, nothing earth shattering. And mm. then you got you got an Iowa State, and I think a lot of people are high on Iowa State, and I, I you know, I am too. They they return a lot of guys on defense. I think. I think that it's it's a decent bet. They're probably gonna have the best defense in the conference, um, but man, David Montgomery and uh, and Hakeem Butler, that that's they were their entire offense, and that's that's difficult yeah. to replace. Sometimes the thing is though, they couldn't even run the ball with David Montgomery. Like Iowa State's rushing offense still wasn't even that good. And they had Montgomery, so I don't think that's as big of a loss. Hakeem Butler, yeah, but they return a lot of their offensive linemen, so they're gonna be strong up front. And I think Purdy's really a good player going into his next year. So uh, Iowa State's a, a fun, interesting team. And I'm a big Matt Campbell guy, as you all probably know. But, yeah, you know what? The more you discuss this, I, I'm starting to – I thought I might be able to defend it. But, man, I But it just like it, – it wouldn't Would it surprise you? It just wouldn't surprise me at all if we see – you know, if we see an 11-1 and OU win the, win the conference and we see, like, Texas kind of doing what they did last year at 9-3 and again – and then we have three teams at like seven and five and eight and four, and then everyone else is being bad. Yeah, and that's that's not a good league if that's the case. Yeah, I mean uh, you haven't said anything about Baylor yet, but Baylor's kind of Baylor now. I mean, I think Baylor is gonna. I think Baylor will take probably a small step forward this year. I, I think they were six and six last year. They were I think good in that bowl game. Did they win their bowl game? I think. Yeah, they they, did. they, they, beat, like Vanderbilt. they beat Vanderbilt. Yeah. yeah, and so I don't know. We'll 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 see. I, I think the. I think the Big Twelve this season could could have a pretty pretty down year. All right. Well, just uh, real quick, this CBS Sports uh, ranked the Big Twelve coaches from one to ten, and I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on this. I there's one that's guy I'm kind of surprised, but I guess it makes sense based on seniority, and that's basically it. But they got they got Riley number one, which I, I think Riley's the best coach in the Big Twelve right now. Uh, they got Gary Patterson number two. And he just he's had he's had tough tough player. I mean, he just has not had that many good players. And he's he's think with Gary Patterson, man, he's really since uh, I guess I mean they got the transfer in Kenny Hill, who was the guy before Boyton? Was it was it Trevon Boykin? Who who Boykin? had who had two really great seasons right. back I mean, to back? Since since those couple guys, he just has not been able to find a quarterback. I mean, he I know that the guy that ended up transferring, I think, was like a four star player, and he just wasn't very good. At, at TCU last year. I think he got injured. I mean, their entire team was injured. But anyways, Patterson's number two. They got Gundy at three, Tom Herman at four, Matt Campbell at five, Matt Rule, then Neil Brown, then Les Miles, then Matt Wells, then Chris Kleiman. So 
Eh, it's June I'd and actually, they're ranking things, so. As yeah, I don't have a lot of problem with that list. I think actually that if if we're I mean if we're ranking these guys in 2019, I I think you got to put Les Miles last on that list. He's been I mean he's been out of the sport for like three yeah. seasons now, and he was the the sink or the the ship was sinking at LSU when he got fired. He's kind of a he's kind of he's 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 kind of a magoo guy. He's a weird dude. Um, I mean this. There's certainly potential for the whole Les Miles Kansas experiment just to absolutely blow up. Oh man, you know I just thought of though. Boy, Les Miles was great at SEC Media Days the couple of seasons I went and covered Texas A&M there, and now he's going to be at Big Twelve Media Days. So hey, all right, Big Twelve Media Days might might have just gotten a little bit more interesting with Les Miles being there, huh? Oh, Big Twelve Media Days I th- I think was going to be interesting no matter what with with the new coaches coming into the conference. Um, yeah. th- that's kind of always the case, and and also a lot of teams have some question marks this year, and so that that's always interesting. All right, let's do a little bit of a talk on Texas Tech, and we'll keep this somewhat brief. I got some decent bullet points. Let's just I'll start. Texas Tech was five and seven last year, and I mean I forgot they were that bad. I I thought they were at least five hundred or they had a winning record, but no. I mean they started five and two and then lost their last five games, and somehow. I blocked this out of my memory because, you know, who cares? It was a meaningless game for the most part. But late in the year, they only scored six points against Kansas State. I, how? I, I mean, I know that Bowman was injured, but, I mean, Kingsbury was able to get stuff out of Jet Duffy, and they still only scored six points against Kansas State in Manhattan. So, like, it's like they were checked out. Um, but anyways, I got Matt Wells in now. He was at Utah State for six years. Uh, he had Josh Heupel on as an assistant coach back in 2015, so... It did kind not work well, no. if, if, if everyone remembers. They were not good, and neither was their offense. So, yeah, 2015 to 2017, those three seasons, Grant, Matt Wells and Utah State were below 500. They had losing seasons those three years, and one of the seasons, I think they were 3-9. and nine. And then, boom, in 2018, last year, they bounced back, and I think Utah State was 10-2, and two, and, boom, he gets the job now at Texas Tech. Um, just, uh, I mean – couple thoughts he's an offensive guy so I don't I don't think you should expect Tech's offense to all of a sudden be mediocre Wells I think is going to try to run the football a lot more effectively than Kingsbury had the past couple of years because Tech last year just couldn't run the ball they were second to last in the big 12 and on the other hand Utah State was really good at running the ball and really good at passing the ball they averaged nearly 300 yards of pass offense per game and 200 yards per game on the ground so pretty explosive offense last year for Utah State they got Alan Bowman back. He's healthy now. Jet Duffy's there. I mean, I'm sure they're going to compete for the starting job. I would guess that Alan Bowman will probably win that job. They got a lot of players back on their offensive line. They have four returning offensive linemen, which is uh, next to Iowa State. They have the most returning experience in the conference on the offensive line. So that'll be helpful for for Bowman, hopefully, because he is going to do his best to not get hit this year, man, after what happened last year. But um, – one more note on the offense, and I'll let you comment on whatever you want to comment on, Grant. Uh, it's really good that Antoine Wesley's gone, that big old wide receiver that was one of the, ma- the multiple guys who destroyed Oklahoma last year. Uh, they have TJ Vasher returning, and he's even bigger than Wesley. He's a six- guy, he's 6'6", six, six, so I'm sure that we're going to see uh, moments of him just going up and uh, I think what do they call it, like mossing people? like going up and just going over top of Oklahoma's defensive back. So get prepared for that. I'm sure 
TJ Vasher will probably do that a couple times in Oklahoma plays Texas Tech this upcoming year. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I sort of already alluded to it in our last segment. I don't. I think Texas Tech's going to suck this year. I don't think they're going to be any good um, because I just I don't. I expect there. Who, who's their new, who's the defensive coordinator's name that's coming in? His name is Keith Patterson. Keith Patterson, and this is I you know this is going to be the same bit I think with um, the other uh, the other coaching staffs that are coming in the other three new coaching staffs that are coming into the the league. They are gonna they're they're gonna absolutely have a welcome to the Big Twelve moment and moments plural. Um, I, I just. I think Texas Tech's defense is is likely to continue to be bad, and I think their offense is going to be worse without Cliff Kingsbury. And they were five and seven last year, so I you know I this is this is the least threatened I've felt uh, from Texas Tech in a really long time. And so I'll uh, I'll give Matt Wells the benefit of the doubt for for the future. I don't you know I'm not I'm not going to say oh his he's going to be a total failure at Texas Tech. You know, give him some time to get his guys in there and implement his system. Um, but I, I said it last week, and this is something that I that I genuinely believe, and I think uh, I think I think wisdom actually really backs it up. I think the Big Twelve schematically is the best conference in college football. This is this is um, from an schem- offensive standpoint. From an offensive standpoint, and, Make sure you and it's say where because <laughs> yeah, not defensively. From oh, an I offensive mean- standpoint, and but no, this is where defensive innovation is coming from, though, because it has to. Sure. So. Um, I think these guys are going to struggle with at first with the with the transition to the Big Twelve, and that's that's why I think a lot of these teams that are that have new coaching staffs they're really going to struggle this upcoming season, and I just think Texas Tech is going to be one of the, one of those. And it, that's not to mean they're not. I, I think they're going to score some points. I think in in general terms, their offense is probably still going to be quote unquote good. Um, uh, T.J. Vasher is a good player. He's a guy who scares me quite a bit. I mean, big, long, tall receivers generally do scare me, especially going up against OU secondary, which is, you know, not too many guys uh, taller than six feet in that secondary. But um, no, I, I just I, I really think they're going to uh, they're going to get kind of shellacked by this conference this first year. Yeah, you mentioned the defense and uh, Patterson coming over. And at Utah State, the last three years, their defense on a yards per play basis has been pretty good. I mean, last year only allowed five yards per play. The year before, 5.1. The year before that, 5.2. And Texas Tech, the last three years, no surprise, has been atrocious on defense. Allowed nearly six yards per play last year, almost six yards per play the year before, and seven yards per play back in, what was it, 2015, 15, 16, 2016. So, I mean, but granted, I mean, that's the Big 12 compared to the Mountain West. And I wanted to talk about the defense a little bit because remember last year at this time, last summer, that there were those ridiculous predictions and, you know, there was in the all Big 12 preseason team had multiple Texas Tech defensive players on that list and people saying, oh, it's going to be a much improved defense in 2018. And then their defense was bad like usual again. I mean, and we were making fun of that all last summer, like saying, come on, like, where's this coming from? Texas Tech's defense is not going to be good. And I've read a couple of previews stating that the defense last year was serviceable and not all that bad for the Big 12. And I'm just, I'm not sure where, uh, I'm not sure where they got that. And I can't, can't bring myself to buy that narrative because, uh, Tech had pretty high expectations last year on defense, as we all 
read those stories and all those, uh, uh, I guess, the again, the expectations were high going into the season. And then they went on to allow 288 yards per game through the air, which was almost as bad as Oklahoma last year. And only Oklahoma and Oklahoma State allowed more yards per game than Tech in the Big 12. And again, I just just short of six yards per play allowed. So uh, that was actually in the middle of the Big 12, believe it or not, which I mean, the Big 12 is just not good on defense. But it's just I'm sure the new coaching staff will be a lot more confident that their approach to defense is going to give Tech a better chance to not be such a sieve. But I'm kind of with you. I'll believe it when I see it. And I do anticipate there are going to be some welcome to the Big 12 moments uh, for that coaching staff. But yeah, I yeah, just, and s- let me yeah, and let me let me clarify too about the the schematic point. Um, I especially on defense. I it's a lot of the innovation on defense that we're seeing in this modern era of college football is coming from the Big Twelve, and it's because it, it's in it's in reaction to the innovation that's happening on offense as well. So guys like Heacock at Iowa State, who is really really um, who's really starting to get comfortable with that dime defense, and also Todd Orlando, who's doing the same thing. Gary Patterson's been doing this stuff for years. Gary Patterson is a very influential defensive coordinator. Um, that's what I'm talking about in that regard. All right, and the last thing I want to talk about when it comes to Texas Tech, just mention, just in case you all forgot, remember that the new safeties coach at Texas Tech is Kerry Cooks. So you better believe that we'll be keeping an extra eye on the back end of that defense to see if those players struggle as much as the Oklahoma defensive back struggled. And, I mean, not just safeties, but corners and everything too. I mean, struggled under under Cooks' tutelage because um, – as we have said multiple times and everybody else has, I mean, the secondary has been been very bad for Oklahoma the last few seasons. So I just want to remind you that Kerry Cooks is now there. So watch out for the Texas Tech secondary and the safeties more specifically to see what they look like. Maybe, uh, you know, if the safeties are really good, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what that's going to say. All right, Grant, last thing, little Kyler Murray talk. You know, OTAs going on, uh, mini camp going on for the Cardinals. You know, we haven't talked a whole lot about Kyler Murray since he was drafted. And I saw that Larry Fitzgerald had some really high praise for Kyler Murray recently. And I want to bring it up real fast. Let's see, where is it? I guess, okay, so Larry Fitzgerald said that Kyler knows the system better than we do. And he can get us into any play at any time. And then he has the ultimate weapon in the exit button. So a veteran player like Larry Fitzgerald already given him a lot of praise. I know David Johnson, the running back, is saying a lot of good stuff about him. Seems like it sounds like it's going pretty well for Kyler Murray early on in Arizona. And let me bring up this question I have for you. You know, we've kind of said, I know you've said this before, and I've said it a little bit too, that we're not as invested in Kyler Murray as we were compared to Baker Mayfield. Because really, Murray was only there for a year at Oklahoma starting. I know he was there for multiple years, but he was behind Baker. Um, but as the season kind of gets closer and closer now, we're in middle of June. Are you getting more and more excited about backing Kyler and watching Kyler in the NFL? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just <laughs> I, I'm just just sort of knowing where where the game is going, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And Arizona is adapting with the times. And they're still ahead of the curve in the NFL. Not everybody has 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 bought in fully with that. And so I just think they have so many weapons. And and I just, you know, I, I've been saying it for, you know, ever since Kyler was drafted number one. This is going to work very well. 
Kyler with Cliff Kingsbury is going to work very, very well. They they have, uh, and just and just sort of just noticing their draft strategy, it tells me that they understand where the game is going, especially with with the type of guys that they drafted. And I'm I'm more thinking about like Andy Isabella, um, as well as Hakeem Butler. They're they're drafting one on one matchup nightmares that they can move around in space and match up on guys that they think they have good matchups against, and. God knows Kyler is, is has the accuracy and the arm strength and the arm talent to, you know, to make people pay for that. And they already ha- they also have Larry Fitzgerald, who, um, you know, I, I think it's it's fair to say he's he's in his mid thirties and he's certainly getting to the end of his career. But I don't know when he had even when he was in his uh, past his prime in his early thirties and he had a half a half half decent Carson Palmer thrown to him, he still looked pretty darn good. He's he's looked really good at times last season as well. Um, and also I just, I'm so happy to be a David Johnson fantasy owner. That guy is, he's going to catch so many balls. He's a matchup nightmare. This was a guy who, um, who as early as three seasons ago, uh, was the best all around back in the NFL. And this guy is is just entering his prime right now. And he is, he's going into one of the most running back friendly offenses we've really ever seen. I think in, in terms of getting running backs in space, which is certainly his, his expertise. So I'm I'm gonna keep banging the drum. The Cardinals are absolutely a threat to be the big dark horse this season in the NFL. Um, it's happened before. Teams have gone from picking first to the playoffs. It has happened numerous times in the last decade in the NFL. It can happen again. Um, the, the Cardinals' offense this season is going to be really good. All right. So obviously, I'm incredibly excited to watch Kyler Murray play as well and uh it certainly is uh my interest is is growing as the season nears which is to be expected but i gotta say i think you're you're really getting over your skis when it comes to the cardinals because again i know kyler's a good player and he's better than a lot of rookie quarterbacks coming out um in recent years i mean he's he's more prepared even though he only has the one year of starting experience, even though he did start a little bit of games at A&M, the one full year. Uh, that's going to be a problem, though. I mean, uh, the lack of experience will will be a problem. The NFL, I know the offense is going to be different and it's going to be more new age, but as the season progresses, NFL defenses and stuff will start to figure it out, and he's going to have some problems, and Cliff Kingsbury is going to have some problems. He's a head coach, not just the offensive coordinator, he's the head coach, too, in the NFL. So... I think you're crazy to think they might be some sort of dark horse team to make the playoffs. I just, I, and also we don't know if their defense is going to be any good, uh, which is certainly a, a, a something that a rookie quarterback needs. It needs a, a strong, sturdy it was defense. A, it was above average last season, and they were young, and they have a lot of guys coming back. Sure, and I mean that definitely helps, especially if if they were above. Were they really above average last year? I mean, because if yeah, that's they were, the case, that's they were top ten in the more, NFL in yards per play. Yeah, that's even more impressive considering their offense was so bad. I mean, one of the worst offense worst offense I've seen in in the last decade in the NFL. Yeah, I mean it was it was a really bad offense. But you got to take into account though that division they're in. They got to play Seattle. Yeah, they got to play the Rams. Fair. That's fair. And the 49ers with Garoppolo back. I mean, if he stays healthy, I like Garoppolo a lot. I mean, that's a tough division. Um, and, and so he's I just see a lot of a lot of really good players, mm-hmm. a lot of really good teams. Sure. And and, and I think it's a fair point you're making about. Uh, NFL defense is adjusting and throwing stuff at him that he hasn't seen, but I, Lee Cliff Kingsbury schematically is ahead of the NFL right now. I, I cannot bang this drum enough. 
And that, yeah. that, that doesn't that doesn't mean that they're not going to adjust. But where we are with football now, Lee, is Kingsbury's a smart guy. He is going to spread everyone out. It'll be easier reads for Kyler. It's going to be one-on-one matchups. That's what this entire offense is going to be about. And you know what? When he does struggle and when the pocket collapses around him, hell, he might be the best athlete in the league. That's going to help quite a bit. And I don't, I don't, and the guy protects himself at an elite level. And I'm sure he's going to take some hits in the NFL, but I, I don't know if we've ever seen anybody come out who is, who is as good at protecting himself and not taking hits as Kyler Murray is. I'd be concerned about, Arizona running the football considering how Texas Tech has struggled at running the ball is that just a talent thing with Texas Tech just not having the the guys up front or uh, maybe the the best running backs or is that a schematic thing to where Kingsbury's offense is not really designed to be able to run the football that well I know he, he wants to run the football a lot they just haven't been very effective at doing it I'd be kind of worried about that because sure. Baker was helped out quite a bit by Nick Chubb and some and and the way he was able to run the ball and especially late in those games. I mean, every quarterback is, obviously. I mean, every quarterback is helped out by a good running game. I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter who you are. So I'd be kind yeah, of concerned that's a fair about counter. that. That's a fair counter, for sure. And we'll, we'll have to see. I, I think that's a legitimate concern. Um, because but we know I, that the Cardinals could not run the ball at all last year. But they couldn't they do anything it. offensively at all. Yeah, but you know what? It's it's really hard to run the ball when you're just getting in the I formation and running it <laughs> literally between the guards right up the middle into, into eight-man boxes. Yep. You're right. <laughs> that is, that's uh, not conducive for picking up yardage in the game of tackle football. So, and I know, like, I know there's a lot of people who think, well, you know, that's that style is going to come back, especially with this move to a lot of nickel and dime defense. When you're in the NFL, man, they can, <laughs> they they can they can pretty easily shift into a four three and stack the box with eight guys. Everyone's big and fast in the NFL. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's. I mean, I don't have anything else really on Kyler. I just I enjoyed that video that was out a few weeks ago of him throwing it in the netting it didn't seem like it was all that impressive but I mean he was oh just, no I mean I don't care about that stuff I'm you know I'd I'd like to see him actually like throwing to receivers and I know. whatnot which we haven't seen a lot of but you know every I, th- I think every uh every you know, all, all the word that's come out of camp from him has been overwhelmingly positive and uh I, I think it's absolutely significant that a guy like Larry Fitzgerald comes in a guy who's been in the league for I mean, 15 years now, probably. Mm. And he yeah. says that he says that this rookie, this 22-year-old kid, knows the system better than I do. That's that's not something a veteran just comes out and says unless he's absolutely sure of it. And so, th- I mean, this is like I, I I'm just I'm going to keep saying it. There, <laughs> Kingsbury is ahead of a vast majority of uh, of uh, of coaches in the NFL right now from a schematic standpoint. What you know, he's going to do is going to surprise a lot of people. Yeah, no, I'm I'm incredibly excited to see this offense in the NFL, especially with with Kyler running. I, I mean, I think it would have been a fun offense to watch, even if Josh Rosen was the quarterback, because I think yeah, Kingsbury I can make can make any kind of quarterback work in his offensive system. It's just he can probably get the max amount out of it with a player like Kyler Murray, which a lot of coaches would get kind of the max of what they want out of a guy like that, because he has the the incredibly unique ability to obviously be very athletic and run, but the first thing he wants to do is throw and he's an elite throw over the football which we don't see a whole lot or if ever in this in this game at, at that level um i'm also i'm just incredibly happy for larry fitzgerald because i mean this might be his last year who knows and at least i know he's a rookie but he's not gonna have just a 
a horrible, terrible quarterback throwing in the ball. I mean, Kyler Murray is not – I don't think he's going to be – I don't think there's a chance that he's going to be awful. Like, Josh Rosen was put in a bad spot last year, and the offense is really bad, and, and he was, for the most part, really bad. I mean, I don't think we're going to see a repeat of that with Kyler Murray. So at least Fitzgerald might have a, a pretty fun, somewhat decent quarterback getting him the football in what could be his last year playing the NFL. Yeah, and I just think I, – I think the whole – the whole, you know, you're in the NFL now and everything is different. I think that's so overrated. It's so it's everyone everyone's a professional at that level and um man, football is football and this is the the way that Cliff Kingsbury runs his offense, this is the future of football. This is why you know, if 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 Pat Mahomes broke into the league and was running the same offense that that Steve Wilkes was running last year at Arizona, he would have had a bad season. I guarantee you that. <laughs> He, it would have been uh, it's just a huge waste of uh, a talent, obviously. And that's in that, and that's not to. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is an is an absolute freak of nature, incredible player. But it's this, it's that, it's this scheme that really that that it doesn't bring it out, but it certainly heightens it. Mm-hmm. And if he was getting under center and turn around and handed it off, you know, sixty percent of the time, he would not be anywhere near as effective. All right. Any more thoughts on anything else today, or? You good to go? No, I think I'm good. Not really. That's pretty solid. All right. Nice little tight hour 10-ish pod. That's it for today. We'll be back next week with more hot OU football talk. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.